in Ephesians chapter 2, if you'd like to turn there in your Bibles. And let me uh, segue off of what Pastor Tracy shared. Uh, if indeed you see a plugged up toilet because you're in leadership training, unplug it. Don't run down a pastor. We're going to do the same thing you do. Lay hands on, you want to lay hands on something? Lay hands on a toilet plunger and go take care of business. Amen? You say, well, I, nobody has empowered me to do that in this church. Heads up here. Edominus, Vobiscum, eat your biscuits. Now you can plunge any toilet in this building as often as the need arises. You're in leadership. Amen? All right. In Ephesians chapter 2, I love this book. Uh, Paul was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to a church that he'd started when he went to Ephesus, which was a huge Roman metropolis. He found 12 disciples that were, that were there, unsure of their doctrine and theology. They didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. They hadn't experienced that. Oh, they had accepted the message that had been shared. Jesus is Lord. Yep. Jesus is the Son of God. Yep. He died on the cross for your sins. Yep. And they believed all of these things, held them in their heart. But there was a baptism of the Holy Spirit that was waiting for them that they didn't even know to ask for. There's a lesson in that already before we go any further in the text. Ask God for all that he has for you. You may not even know what he has for you. They didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. Can I tell you this morning, there is a Holy Spirit. He loves you. He wants to fill you. And apart from him, you can do nothing. Nothing. We can lay hands on people. We can anoint pastors that have been so called to that position by God, but without the ongoing empowering of the Holy Spirit, leadership as well as the church is powerless. And if there is a need today, it is a powerful influence of the church in the world. The world stands tonight, uh, this afternoon, on the knife's edge of Armageddon. Do you understand that? We stand, we're straddling this razor blade, and it could easily go either way. This Israeli situation could escalate. Iran has already threatened to get involved. They are our proxies of Russia. They supply Russia with drones to be used against Ukraine, and Russia gives them uh, things like nuclear centrifuges and the ability to make nuclear weaponry. They've threatened to get involved. America sent two carrier groups there, but if you notice, it's not much of a deterrent unless the planes take off, unless you use that deterrent. You know, I'm a big fan of the old President Teddy Roosevelt. Walk softly, carry a big stick. I pray, pray for our president, pray for our leadership of our nation, that they would make right decisions to protect the innocents and to continue to pray for the nation of Israel and back them as uh, they are the people of God's choosing. God has a rather strategic, long-range goal in mind with the way that he uses his people and global events and political situations such as we see today. He's in the long game. He sees into eternity. He sees far beyond today's headlines. We can be obsessed with those things. We can let those things worry us or grieve us. Or you can take a step back and say, you know what? My God created this universe. He's got it under control. There is no nation, there is no people that he doesn't have his hand upon leading and guiding. Everything is going to wind down exactly 
strictly, as it says in scriptures, which means that you should, these last days, be a good student of God's word. God is not done with Israel. I can tell you this. They will persevere in this conflict. God is not done with Israel. How do I know that? The Word of God. What you see is after the church is removed from this earth, God is going to move Israel back to the front burner, and they're going to do some amazing things for the seven years that the Antichrist reigns over this fallen world, and God's going to use them in remarkable ways. Revelation 7 describes 144,000 Billy Graham kind of individuals, they're going to evangelize the world. Can you imagine? They're going to be so spirit-filled. They're going to be so on fire. They're going to go all around the world, not just in Israel and not just in the Middle East telling people about Jesus Christ. They're going to go as far as there is globe to be covered. People need to know about Jesus Christ. Let's not wait until the 144,000 do their job. Let's do ours in the meantime. Tell people about Jesus. When you get your cup of coffee over there, Dutch brothers, ask them, is there something I could pray for you about? I mean, they're always doing silly stuff like, well, what's your favorite animal at the zoo? Is that, is that on the top 10 list of your priorities in this life? Oh, okay. Then we can help them come back to something maybe a little more substantial and say, something we can pray for you about? How do you feel about what's going on in the Middle East? Do you know Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace? Only He can bring peace to the human heart. We have an opportunity everywhere we go to share the love of Jesus Christ. And when we're not opening our mouths, can't we be praying? Do they need the Lord? Do they need God to reveal Himself to them? Of course He does. It's not just the Ephesian believers that needed a touch from God. It is all of those that have stood upon their shoulders from the moment Paul established this church to the present second. We are the church. You know that? We are the church. doesn't matter what denomination you go to. Those that love Jesus Christ and acknowledge Him as the Son of God, filled with the Spirit and acknowledge the truthfulness of His Word, we are bound together as the body of Christ. We are the church, and we've got to think as long-term and strategic as God does and see beyond the four walls of the building in which we worship. This is not the church. This is a convenient place to stay warm on a cold day and to stay cool on a hot day. But don't, this is not the church. Who's the church? Look in the mirror. You are. And be proud of that. That's your identity. That's your identity in Jesus Christ. Your identity is not based upon your ethnicity. It is not based upon your age or what sect of Christianity you hold to or what your predestination policy is on theological issues. What identifies you as the body of Christ is Jesus Christ. It's His body. We are members of this. But let's work towards unity and not division. Let's be a people committed to prayer. Let's be a people that walk behind the greats that have gone before us like Paul did in, in just going to Ephesus and finding 12 guys that didn't know Khmer from Sikkim and yet needed Jesus, needed to be filled with God's Holy Spirit. I want to begin seeing things from God's eternal perspective. And so I spend a lot of time in Scripture looking forward to what lies ahead. I know exactly what lies ahead, and it's neater than grits. You're going to love it. 
Not only does God in, in Revelation chapter 7 raise up 144,000 Jewish Billy Grahams from the 12 tribes of Israel, but you know what he does in chapter 11? He sends Moses and Elijah. What? He sends Moses and Elijah representing the law and the prophets to once again speak the message of God's plan for mankind. And they'll shout it from the rooftops. And for three and a half years, they're going to be the most powerful voice uh, there is on earth. And in this age of satellite TV and CNN, everything they say is going to be broadcast around the world. Isn't that awesome? Come, Lord Jesus. He is going to use the Jewish people again. If you doubt that, feel free to read Romans 9 through chapter 11 at any time. He, we do not replace Israel. We are privileged to be partnering together with them. We, we were a wild olive shoot that was grafted into all of the promises that God gave the patriarchs as far back as Abraham. That's why there's value in reading your Old Testament. What do you know about Abraham? What do you know about God's promises given to Abraham? Because we partake of those promises. Any promises he made to Jacob or Isaac or Jacob's descendants, do you know about these things? Are you reading about these things? Are you knowledgeable about this? I know there is a tendency for you and I to only study the New Testament. This is the New Testament. In other words, if all you read is the New Testament, you ignore over three quarters of the Word of God. Why would you do that? How much of this is the Word of God? Say it again. How much? All of it. All of it is suitable for correction, reproof, training in righteousness. All of it. So be a student of God's Word these, these last days. Study it. Say, so, well, I don't understand it at all. Get a study Bible. It helps. The footnotes aren't inspired, but sometimes are helpful to give us a little insight as to the history or the geography or things like that. So feel free to jump in with both feet these last days. In, in uh, chapter 1, Paul had outlined uh, our identity in Christ. Uh, I, it is glorious who we are in Christ, what we've been given. And then in chapter 2, he points out we used to be dead in our sins, but God met us in that place, delivered us from our sins the moment we repented of them and accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Pastor Tracy did a, a fine job this morning of walking us through what is the gospel, what is the good news is this. God loves you. God loves you. He's got a plan for your life. But our sins have made a mess of things. What does God want us to do? Confess our sins. Repent of them. An old word that simply means do an about face. You were headed this way away from God and towards sin. Do an about face and move towards God and away from your sins. Ask Him to fill you with His Holy Spirit and then begin this wonderful journey called Christianity. You need brothers and sisters to help you in that. Older Christians to bounce questions off of, to help disciple you and pray with you and encourage you. But that's who you are. There's work to be done these last days. And you know what? There's not enough uh, Pastor Dwayne's or Pastor Tracy's or Pastor Jim's or John Mark to go around. We need your help. So in our time of greeting in the church, feel free when you grab somebody's hand to say, how you doing? Stick around long enough to look in their eyes. Because what comes out of their mouth may not be what's in their hearts. Oh, I'm fine. Your eyes don't look like you're fine. 
What can I pray for you about? If there's ever a time for the church to get real, it's today. Not when they start lobbing nukes from Iran and Russia and China. Today is the day of salvation. If the church can't stand strong and united today, when will we? What are we waiting for? So I really encourage you to be audacious for Jesus Christ these last days. Audacious. Be bold. Don't cower down. That's what the enemy wants to do. He deals in fear. Well, maybe somebody's going to think I'm silly because I can't pray, you know, like so-and-so in the church. I don't, I don't pray in the King's English like the really righteous people do, you know. Let all of that go. Trust God and just pray in the simplest of terms for each other. Love on each other. Care. Care. That's all I'm asking you to do. If I was in trouble, if I was in the hospital, is there anybody in this room that would refuse to pray for me? Why shouldn't we be doing that for each other then? Day in, day out, don't wait till they wind up in the hospital. People have needs. Every one of you, every one of us in this room has a need whether we acknowledge it or not. We're a needy people. We have a God who meets those needs. But he uses the prayers of his people to effectively bring all of this to the attention of heaven above. It's not that God doesn't know as he wants to hear it from our lips. You say, why pray when an omniscient God knows everything? Pray because he commanded us to pray. Let's start with that. <laughs> you don't have to figure it out past that. He said pray. Questions? Do it. <laughs> Bible is not overly complicated. We were dead in Christ in the start of chapter 2 reminds us of that and how we were saved. You weren't saved by church attendance. You weren't saved by buying your way into the kingdom of God. You weren't saved by a church, a denomination, a pope, a Catholic bishop. You weren't saved by any of those things. You were saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, God's only begotten son. His son's name was not Muhammad. God's only begotten son, his name was not Buddha. There are many that follow those false teachers. But you and I know that God sent his only begotten son, whose name is what? Jesus. There is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. No other name. You can't be saved by Buddha. You can't be saved by Muhammad. So many people in this world are deceived by the prince of the power of the air. He deals in propaganda and hate and division. And you've seen it all on your TV in the last week, haven't you? You wonder, why, how'd the world ever get this way? We got away from God. We just got away from God. The answer, let's get back to God. Let's get back to God. People need the Lord. People need the Lord. I want to start there in verse 11 as we finish out chapter 2 this morning. I will be brief, but then I'm a pastor. We, we don't know how to be very brief. But I don't, I'm not interested in overwhelming you so much as I am that you tune in to what God has to say to you personally this morning. I'm not here to tickle your ears. I'm not good at that. I'm really not. But I want God to give you ears that will hear what the Spirit would say to the church this morning. You want to hear from God? Let me see your hands. Want to hear from God? The rest of you, what are you doing here? This is where we hear from God. This is where we come to hear from God. 
Verse 11 of chapter 2, the book of Ephesians. Therefore, remember, remember, church, remember. Circle that word. Remember who loves you. Remember who shed his blood to save your soul. Remember him who has called you to your station in life. The people that you know, witness, and minister to. Remember. Remember, too, what you and I have been delivered from. Our reconciliation to God is really the basis of our being reconciled to each other. We have received grace. Uh, we extend grace uh, to others. That, that's the church. Verse 11, therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by the Jews, by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promises, that is, that God had made to the patriarchs. You were without hope and without God in the world. That describes most of the world's population today. People on TV that you watch doing and saying such despicable things that you can barely imagine it do so because they don't know God. They may be religious. They may be zealous for their cause. They may be radical. That doesn't make them right. It makes them deceived. They are, in fact, if you don't have Jesus Christ, it is a world without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away because of our sins have been brought near through the blood of Jesus Christ. Not through self-effort, not by being religious or being good enough, not even by being baptized or church membership, though all of those things are wonderful. You are saved how? By the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. His blood removes all of our sins. And without that faith in Jesus Christ None of us can be saved. I grew up a Roman Catholic in New York City as a kid, and we were taught that the Savior of the world was the Roman Catholic Church, not Jesus Christ. We had statues all over the place. We had saints all over the place. We did things that as a kid I didn't understand. I couldn't spell the word genuflect. I barely knew what it meant, and as soon as they wanted me to do that, I was down and everybody else was standing up. I'd stand up and everybody else was kneeling down. I was always, I felt like a prisoner behind a few bars and in a cell, and I had no idea what was going on. And so as a kid, I quickly rejected it all. This doesn't make sense. I'm, if I'm saved by when I'm supposed to stand up and kneel and genuflect and pull down the thingy and find where they're at in the, in the little missile, I, I was lost. I was lost in every sense of the word. I was lost. I didn't know where I was supposed to go in the little book next. Like a book can save you? Well, there's prayers in that book. Not the prayers of my heart. Maybe they were the prayers of someone else's. It's a good model prayer, perhaps, on many occasions. But the Roman Catholic Church, the Baptist Church, Calvary Chapel Eastside cannot save you. No church, no man, no denomination, but Jesus Christ. So all of your faith, trust, Hope and confidence has to be not just in the historical Son of God, but the Son of God who is present when His people gather in His name. Jesus is in this place, man. He said, where two or more gathered in my name, I'm right there. 
Let him search your heart. Let him look into the nooks and crannies of the areas of your heart that you've hidden from him out of embarrassment. You know that what you've done is wrong. You know that a persistent path away from him is not his plan for your life. And yet, we hesitate in turning to him, like giving up our sin that kills us, that destroys us, and turning in faith to the living God is what we're living for. That's what we used to do when we were separated from Christ. But at some point in time, God got a hold of your heart if you're a Christian. Maybe you reached the same point I did when I was only 19, where I thought, I've tried everything I can think of, and I'm, I feel such an ache of emptiness inside. And I sat in this little 10-foot by 40-foot mobile home, and I remember crying out to God and talking to the ceiling. I felt stupid doing it. But I said, God, if you are, if there's a God in heaven, if Jesus Christ is your son, would you come into my heart and life and save me from my sins? Because I'm right here right now. I don't know why I can't just pull the plug. I have no hope. I have nothing to live for. I've tried everything and nothing has satisfied. I've got this great big gaping hole in my life that seems to get bigger with every passing day. And I've tried stuffing it with everything I can think of under the sun. And I find no meaning, no purpose, no guidance, no direction, no peace, no forgiveness. The world is looking in all the wrong places that all human beings have that void, that God-shaped void within that only God can fill. And there is no other way to God except through faith in Jesus Christ. Do you know Him? Do you acknowledge Him as the Son of God? He loves you so much. He's got a plan for your lives that will only be accomplished to the extent that you are abiding in Him these last days. That means abiding in His will. That means abiding in prayer, abiding in His Word. We were separated from Christ. Gentiles, as it points out in verse 11, that's who you and I are. That simply means non-Jews. Not We weren't racially Jews. We were Gentiles, we were mocked and made fun of by the Orthodox Jewish community because we were referred to as the uncircumcised, like we're dirty and unclean. Went to Israel a number of years ago, and while most of the Israelis were just as friendly and genuine as you could possibly imagine, every once in a while a guy would come at you with a funny hat on and big curly locks in front of his ears, and as I was walking along the side, he'd go out into the street to walk around me and go, goyim, goyim, goyim. And I asked our tour guide, what, what's a goyim? And he said, dog. He's calling you a dog. You're the uncircumcised. You're not the elite. You're not the Jews. You're not the Orthodox community. I mean, you cut your hair in front of your ears. Massive sinner that you are. So it was a term of derision. We still hear that kind of talk today. Whether it's anti-Semitism, oh, you're a Jew, one of those despised people. And the entire Arab world just despises Jews for no other reason than the fact that they are Jews. Hitler made the same excuse to exterminate them. Six million Jews? What did they do against Hitler? Nothing. But from the Jewish people came the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And there was... 
demonic forces at work back at the beginning of World War II as there are today. We want peace, but I find that there is no peace. I can remember as a student of history in college seeing pictures of Neville Chamberlain, who at the time was the prime minister of, of England in 1938, and he held up a newspaper that said, we have peace in our time. He had just gone to Berlin. He had just talked to Hitler. And Hitler says, well, after Austria, we have no further aspirations in the rest of Europe. It was a lie, lie from the pit of hell. He looked square in his eyes, lied right to his face. But Neville Chamberlain came home and bragged, on, we have peace in our time, holding up the newspapers. The Word of God says in the end times, people will say, Peace, peace, but there is no peace. How can you have peace unless the Prince of Peace sits on the throne of sinful human hearts? You can't have peace. The world longs for it, but looks in all the wrong places for it. It won't be found in United Nations membership. There will, you will find no protection in United Nations membership. If they are relying on America, we have been a staunch ally for many years. Isn't that a bit like the Jews leaning on their faith and trust in Egypt in the Old Testament? A splintered reed which can pierce the hand? God allows us to go to trials for the same reason He's allowing them to go through trials, to turn them back to Himself. Your trials are not meant to make you mad at God. Why are you doing this to me? Your trials are meant to turn you to God who has all of the answers to your situation. He loves you. He wants you to turn to Him. The prince of the power of the air, Satan himself, is out to destroy you, to destroy the Middle East. He turns not only Jews against Jews, but look what he's done in the Islamic world, turning Sunni and Shia Muslims against each other. They're both Muslims and they can't get along. There is no peace apart from the prince of peace. Our global situation today is because we have wandered far and wide away from God, His Word, and His Son. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray that this would be a time of nationwide repentance, not only in our own nation, but in Israel and throughout the world. God, I believe, is allowed, He is doing a shaking. And it's like King Ahaz was told in the Old, Old Testament by the prophet, if you don't stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. He was speaking to a king whose nation was being invaded. If we do not stand firm in our faith, here in our faith in God, His sovereignty, His Son, His Word, if we do not stand firm today, we will not stand at all. This is not a day and an age to cower down and say, oh, I'm so fearful. I, I, I can't turn on the news anymore. I just get so fearful. Do you think fear is of God? God has not appointed us fear, but He's given us power, love, and a sound mind. There's nothing to fear by turning on the, the, the TV and, and watching what's going on over there. That helps you pray more intelligently. If it bothers you enough, turn off the TV and open your Bible and pray. Get on your knees. Turn on the praise and worship music. There's a breath of spiritual fresh air for you. We were separated from Christ, secondly, excluded from citizenship in Israel. Thirdly, we were foreigners to the covenant of the promise. Fourthly, we were without hope. 
That's the world today. And fifthly, without God in the world. Long before the Israeli conflict blew up that we've experienced in the last seven days, I remembered a course I took because somebody forced me to. Any of you ever have a course in philosophy, either in high school or college? You ever have a course in philosophy? I hated it. I hated it with everything that was within me. But one of the parts that you had to tap in, for most people, it was an easy A. But yeah, I hated every minute of the content of it. By the way, philosophical thought changes uh, about every 20 years as to what's uh, germane for today or for now. But I remember that we had to study this guy named Bertrand Russell, who was the father of modern-day existential philosophy. And I thought, what's that to me? Absolutely nothing. Bertrand Russell, he was the father of this major movement that had dominated philosophy for a hundred years. So I, I read his writings. He was a brilliant philosopher, to be sure, but a man who had no faith in the Bible or God, devout atheist. And he describes in eloquent terms the natural outcome of a life from which all faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ has been removed. This is just a snippet out of one of his oh-so-depressing books. Let me share this one, because this is how the world feels. Apart from Jesus Christ, the world has no hope. Bertrand Russell had no hope. Here's what he writes in one of his more honest moments. Quote, the life of man is a long march through the night, surrounded by invisible foes, tortured by weariness and pain towards a goal that few can hope to reach and where none can tarry long one by one as they march. Our comrades vanish from our sight, seized by the silent orders of omnipotent death. Aren't you built up so far? Isn't this great? Makes you want to sign up for philosophy. He goes on, brief and powerless is man's life. His and all his race, race the slow race, sure doom falls pitiless and dark, blind to good and evil, reckless of destruction, omnipotent matter rolls on its relentless way. For man, condemned today to lose his dearest, tomorrow himself to pass through the gates of darkness. It remains only to cherish, yet ere the blow falls, the lofty thoughts that ennoble his puny day. You just want to go slit your wrist, don't you? You just want to go to Krispy Kreme and order a dozen and pack them down and say, I'm depressed, man. That's what the world offers. In fact, though, you go to UCCS, you, they'll make you read this guy's trash. They don't know Christ, and they don't want Christ in any of our public schools. Isn't it interesting that all of the upset is now on college campuses throughout America? Why? Because they know nothing of God. They're not taught about God. They're taught about nonsensical philosophies like this guy. Got to read Bertrand Russell. How about we read the Bible? Nope. How about we pray? Nope. Oh, you can worship Buddha. Okay, you can do that. Can't pray, can't do the Christian thing. Any other false belief system would be just fine. But all of those five points that I mentioned, separated from Christ, excluded from our citizenship with Israel, foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope, without God in the world. All of that's corrected by who I am in Jesus Christ. I, my life has meaning and purpose and direction now. 
I can fall, but I do not fall below the threshold which I find his arms beneath. Beneath all that I face are the everlasting arms of the living God who sent his son to pay the price for your sins and mine. Our sins alienate us from God. That's why they need to be confessed and repented of. Jesus and only Jesus can wash away your sins because nobody else died on the cross to pay the penalty your sins and mine deserved. Muhammad didn't die for your sins. Buddha did not die for your sins. Confucius did not die for your sins. Joseph Smith, the father of the Mormon heresy, did not die for your sins. Only Jesus Christ did. There is no other way to heaven. There is no other hope that we have in this life other than turning to the one who has sent his son and allowed him to shed his blood that we might be saved. Look at verse 14. This says it all to me. For he himself is our peace. There is no other peace. Jesus, he's our peace. Isn't he called the prince of peace? Yeah, Isaiah referred to him as as the prince of peace. He himself is our peace. When we talk about peace, we're talking about on two different levels. Because of what Jesus did for us, I have peace with God because all of my sins are washed away. There's no barrier between me and a holy and perfect God. I have peace with God. And that is great because it results in Him washing away all of my sins and my guilty conscience with it. Is there a heavier burden than man, that man can bear than a guilty conscience? Remember what you felt like before you got saved? You knew you were a worthless wretch. And you had done things that you are to this day ashamed that you did. We all have that past, don't we? I stand up here as no one's critic whatsoever. But Satan would like to chain me with that identity. Jesus Christ died to set me free. To break the chains that I had. I was, I was in bondage to sin. I was in bondage to all sorts of things. Machinations from the devil himself. I did not know peace. I knew fretfulness. I knew anxiety. I knew stress. And tried to kill it all off with drugs or alcohol. Didn't work. Seven times this whole concept of peace is mentioned in Ephesians. Ninety-three times in the New Testament. It's what God wants for you. Do you feel at peace this morning? Do you breathe in and breathe out the peace of heaven above? That's your inheritance. That's what Christ died to give you. Peace with God, but then also, secondly, the peace of God that transcends all understanding. If you are saved this morning, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you have peace with God, but you may not be walking in the peace of God that transcends all understanding. Because we have peace with God, we should be experiencing peace down here because we're trusting God with it all. Every burden that Satan puts in our backpack, we take out and we hand to God. And so I'm walking in peace. Philippians talks about walking in the peace that passes all understanding. In Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7, Rejoice in the Lord always, Paul says. He writes this from jail. He writes this from jail. I mean, if anybody had a reasonable uh, reason to 
feel sorry for himself. He's sitting in jail unjustly accused. And he writes from his cell, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all for the Lord is near. Paul in that jail cell said, man, God is right here. I feel his presence. I'm not despairing. I'm not despondent. I'm not discouraged. He fills my heart. And because he does and he's in control, I feel his peace on the outside as well as the inside. That's what he wants for you. But some of us walk in doubt. Some of us walk in despair. Some of us moan and grumble and complain to God constantly about how tired we are of the situations that he has allowed in our lives. He's teaching us patience. What patience is, is long-suffering without complaint. Some of you thought you were passing the test until I added without complaint. Some of you think you have the gift of criticism. It's not a gift. God wants you walking in peace. Are you going through more than Paul did in his life? Have you been whipped lately, beaten with rods, shipwrecked, flogged? Has that happened to you lately? Then you might have something to complain about. Although Paul said, all of these things I count as nothing, absolutely nothing. And yet we whine about far less than anything he ever went through. Christ died to make us one. Verse 14, he himself is our peace who has made the two Jews and Gentiles non-Jews and Jews, one. He has destroyed the barrier that stood between us and God and stood between each of us, the dividing wall of hostility. Boy, that's what we see in the world today because people don't know the Lord. So they're hostile towards each other, but most especially towards the Jews. There is a demonic hatred of all things Jewish, that it just pervades the entire world out there today. Christ died to remove this wall of hostility. Many persist in it, though. Without Christ, hostility, division, animosity, anti-Semitism, it remains. We see it throughout the world today. Our college campuses need to know Jesus. That's what they need. They're acting out of control because they are out of control. They have no God. They have no moral compass. Verse 15, by abolishing in his flesh, Jesus' flesh, he abolished the law with all of its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace between Jews and Gentiles. It's not about religion. It's not about formalism. It's not about what day you worship. It's about Jesus Christ. Can, can we agree on Jesus Christ? In, or do we settle for him dividing up the body of Christ and do another segment? Good grief. How many, how many ways can you slice this pie called Christianity? How many denominations are there in the body of Christ throughout the world today? Tens of thousands. And that's unbiblical, totally. Jesus Christ died to make us one. Well, are you Catholic or are you Protestant? Are you Eastern or are you Western? You keep the rules and regulations in the Old Testament. No, that only led to pride. Christ met all of those rules and regulations in his own body and took my sins to the cross. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two. Call the body of Christ. 
that stands apart from denominational bias or, or religious preference. Jews and Gentiles. Can you imagine Jews and Palestinians and Hamas and Hezbollah all bowing before the throne of Christ? When that happens, we'll know peace in the Middle East. And we will not know peace in the Middle East until Jesus is the Lord of all. No nation, no man, no principality, no military has the ability to bring peace that only Jesus can. Pray that God would reveal himself to these people. Our new identity, we're his people. We're not Jews, we're not Gentiles, not young, not old, Catholics or Protestants. We, we are one in Christ Jesus. That's our identity. I don't even say the church because the church age will pass. When we walk into eternity, we'll all be one in Christ Jesus. Jesus, the millennial kingdom will pass. It only lasts a thousand years. Heaven and earth will someday pass. But all of the promises that God made to the patriarchs are going to be fulfilled, making us one. Can I tell you, in heaven, there's not a young section and an old section. There's not rock and rollers versus, what, disco queens or something? I, I don't, there's not those kind of differences. The country western section is over there. Well, they speak Spanish over there, and they speak English back here, but it's Arabic in this section over there. There is none of that stuff in heaven. And we can't allow those things to divide the body of Christ today. We are one in the body of Christ. Amen? Hold up your hands and say, I am one in the body of Christ. That's our identity. That's who we really are. I will stand in that. I don't care what language you speak. We are one in Christ Jesus. I don't care if you are young and old, a skateboarder, tattooed, male or female. I don't care about those things. I will not allow them to divide me. Like it or not, you're stuck with me. I'm your brother for eternity. Deal with it. We're all in this hot mess together. So let's pray for each other. Let's love on each other. Let's inspire confidence in each other. Let's speak well of each other. Let's do it in our homes. Let's do it in our hearts, in our workplaces. Let's do it when we come together as church. Do you have peace with God? Do you know the peace of God that transcends all understanding what are you worried about today? Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. I'm going to tell you two things you know but you need to hear. God loves you. You may not love yourself. Maybe nobody else on this planet loves you. God loves you. And secondly, know that he has everything under control. I think those are the only two things you need to successfully navigate life. He loves me. He's got this. So I don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. <laughs> Pray about everything for sure. But beware those who promise peace without Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5.3, when people in the last days are saying peace and safety, destruction will come upon them suddenly as labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Peace, peace. It only comes through the cross of Jesus Christ. Verse 17, he came and he preached peace to you who were far away, us Gentiles, and peace to those Jews who were near. Verse 18, for through him we both now have access to the Father by one spirit. There is nothing that keeps you from communicating 
with God nothing. Tell him everything. Walk in humility. Walk in constant repentance and contrition. Walk close to him. Don't be prideful or arrogant or boastful. Let him who boasts boast in the Lord. There should not ever be any hostility within the body of Christ. Context here is between believers. And it says, as much as possible with you, live at peace with all men. Paul would write the church at Rome. God has called us to live in peace. Paul would write the Corinthian believers. Be of one mind, he would write in his second letter to the church at Corinth. Be of one mind, live in peace with each other. Don't argue, don't wrangle. Don't, let's just be the servant of all. Because it's not about you, it's not about getting your way. Isn't the fruit of the Holy Spirit love and joy and peace and patience? You can show the world how much fruit you have when people are in your face. When people are contentious. When things are not going the way you planned. If you have peace then, that's a testimony to the whole world. If I am not at peace with others, especially Christians, you have to ask yourself the question, am I at peace with God? Or am I mad at Him? Am I angry with Him? Things are not turning out the way I planned. I'm praying and you're doing what? Nothing. Oh, he's doing something all the time. You just don't like it. Because it doesn't cater to your flesh. He didn't care about your flesh. He cares about your spirit. He wants to make you mature in him, cling to him. Are people at peace with God? We can't have peace if we're in disobedience to his word. Verse 19, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. We're, we're family. We're family together, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Someday, every knee will bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Whether they like it or not, whether they've accepted it or not, they will have to acknowledge that someday because it is, in fact, true. They may not know him. They have perhaps rejected him, but someday every knee. I'd like to see that day when Satan has to bow his knee and say, Jesus Christ is Lord. He tells us in Romans that God will soon crush Satan beneath your feet. <sighs> you won't always be tempted. Your body won't always fall apart. You will someday be renewed. We have hope in the promises of God. Jesus is coming back soon for his church. And if things get any warmer over in the Middle East, it might be before you go to bed tonight. You ready? I'm ready. I am eager, willing, waiting, praying for it. Praying for it. Come, Lord Jesus. Verse 21, as we wrap up, in Him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. We're a work under progress. We are the church, and yet it is a church that, whose building is ongoing. God is still placing people and building up people that are still getting saved. It's a glorious thing. Uh, the work of God is certainly not done yet by any stretch. In verse 21, though, in him the whole building joined together rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Be holy. God said it first in the Old Testament, be holy for the Lord your God is holy. Well, Pastor Jim, it's legalized in the state of Colorado. Can I do it? No. 
Do you have any other questions? Say no to compromise. Say no to sin. I don't care what the world finds acceptable. They're not my standard. The Word of God is. Keep yourself away from anything that pollutes inward or outward. Stay away from that stuff. It doesn't matter if society allows it. If they say that murder is okay, we're going to say, well, it's okay. We'll just come to church and murder each other just because society says that? Of course not. Society says it's okay to murder babies. What do you think God thinks? I don't care what the world finds acceptable. I will stand on God and His Word and avoid the things that pollute inwardly and outwardly. Verse 22, and in Him, you, take this personal, you are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by His Holy Spirit. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's what He gave you as a deposit guaranteeing what lies ahead. Holy Spirit of God, the one who gives you hope, who nudges your conscience, who reminds you of the Word of God, the Holy Spirit who is devoted to make you holy. If there is anything in this life that is not moving you in the direction of holiness, as a Christian, can you tell me why you're doing it? Did I just step on a whole lot of tools in this room? You betcha. Am I talking to you? I am talking to you. If it does not aid in holiness, why are you doing it? Stay away from those things that pollute, that defile. You know what those things are. You know those things that you are tempted to do. And we have our excuses as to why we do them. Stay away from those things that are addicting, those things that will take you away from Christ and compromise your testimony. Stay away from those things. Peter puts it in 1 Peter 2, 4, as for you, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. You mean it's not just Dwayne? You mean I'm a pastor? I'm a pastoress, if that's a word. Yeah. Yeah, we're all in this thing together. He has called all of us to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Mm. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. And that's all I've said. Walk in the light. If there is any darkness in something you're allowing in your life this morning, walk away from the darkness. Keep your eyes on the light and keep moving towards it. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God, since you once had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's the motivation to holy living. He's called me to it. It's a process, this unity thing as we're growing in Christ. It's a process that God is doing in each one of us. We're not there yet. But if love covers a multitude of sins, practice that. Don't be offended. Are you easily offended? 
Don't be. The world is out to offend you. Let's not go out of our way to offend each other in the body of Christ. But if you're easily offended, check your spirit. There's something wrong. Well, that person just pushes my buttons in church. What makes you think you have the right to have buttons? Don't blame the other person. God's just using them to show you that you're derelict in your walk. You got buttons? That's not God's will for you. Love covers a multitude of sins. Be gracious, be loving, be kind, be gentle. God's purpose, ultimately, He is going to bring everything in the universe under the headship of His Son. That's what He had told us back in, in chapter 1. It starts with the reconciliation of people to Himself. Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. If you don't know Jesus Christ, the living Son of God, He rose from the dead, remember. He's alive. Give your heart to Him. Give your heart to Him. Give Him your life. Ask Him to forgive you your sins and be your Lord and Savior, and He will be reconciled to God. And then be reconciled to each other. You may be thinking, well, I've slandered somebody in this church, and I need to repent and apologize to them. You make sure you do that before you go home this morning. If you have sinned against each other, maybe you need to go home and apologize to a spouse or a child or a co-worker tomorrow morning when you get there. We should, we should be walking in holiness and purity by the power of God's Holy Spirit. So draw close to Christ. Draw close to God, and He will draw close to you, is the promise of Scripture. But if you're not forsaking your sin and just following the ways of the world, you condemn, listen carefully, you condemn yourself. You condemn yourself. And God will honor whatever decision you make this morning, good or bad. It's on you now. It's on you now. I've done my part. God saved us by the blood of His Son. He's reconciled us to Himself and to each other. But Satan is still out there to divide and conquer, but only we can allow him to do that by refusing to be reconciled to each other, by refusing to pursue peace with God and of God, by refusing to humble ourselves, to be obedient to Scripture. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He'll lift you up. Here's what I don't want you to do. Guys over there, I want you to listen to me. You guys right over there, listen up. This is about Jesus Christ. You will conduct yourself in a way that honors Him in this house. Yes, sir? This is about giving your heart and life to Jesus Christ. Not funning and clowning around in a church service. This is a moment where you allow God to examine your heart because we've all fallen short. You understand why we're here, gentlemen? Just shake your head like this. Let me see you saying, yeah, I understand why we're here. It's about God. We will show Him honor in His house. We will do that always. Peace is offered to all of us by the Prince of Peace, peace with God, peace with each other. And our obligation as we see the news cycle is unfolding before us is to remember what God said in 2 Chronicles 7.14. Listen carefully, and you know it well. I'm, I'm sure you've heard it many times. If my people, that's us, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, 
and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then God says, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. I will heal their land. All conditioned upon us seeking the Lord with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Let's stand together, shall we, and close in prayer as the praise band comes up. Heavenly Father, we realize that we live in serious times. It's not times for putzing around. It's not time for goofing off or being a lazy or half-hearted Christian. The urgency of the hour shows us that Jesus Christ could be coming back for His church at any moment. Any, any one of a number of rogue nuclear nations could push the button, and many have already threatened to do so. We could be standing on the very knife's edge of Armageddon. Our hearts cry out to you this morning, asking that you forgive us our sins. Where we've been flippant, forgive us. Where we have been disrespectful, forgive us. Where we have been easily offended, forgive us. Where we have said things that were displeasing to you and not honoring to you. Forgive us, Father, in Jesus' precious name. We choose to humble ourselves before you. We choose to seek your face. I pray that you would reveal yourself to us powerfully these last days. For your children, I pray you'd fill them to overflowing with your Holy Spirit. For those here this morning that have not made that commitment to Jesus Christ, I pray that you would save them this morning. They would be so convicted in their hearts of their sin, of their rebellion, that they would be drawn to humble themselves before you, that you might save them. I pray that that happened this morning. We stand before you, the God of the universe. We are your creation. As we humble ourselves before you, as we seek your face, would you hear our prayer? Heal our land. Restore, Lord. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. In Jesus' precious name, Father. Amen.